Father, it is always a blessing to come before the throne of grace. We thank you that you are our sovereign Lord, and that you are in control of all things. Lord, we know our lives right now are kind of topsy-turvy, and many of the men in this room don't have jobs. We wonder what's going on with the, the flu. Lord, but we know that you are sovereign and in control of all things, and I thank you for that. I find great comfort knowing that you are our creator and our Lord, and that you have what's best in design for each and every one of us. Lord, thank you for this rain that you've given us to water the land. Thank you for those jobs that the men do have. And for those that do not, Lord, may they depend upon you and rely upon you and your strength. I ask, Lord, that you would give courage to the men who need it. I pray, Lord, tonight that you would prepare our hearts to receive the word that you've given Steve. Lord, we know that it's your words. I pray that you would give him the strength, the stamina, and the charisma for us to listen. May we be attentive, and may we apply what we've learned to our lives. May we just uh, focus on you, close out the worries of the day. Lord, we know that uh, your word says that uh, tomorrow's got enough worries. Let's just worry about today. Thank you, Lord, that you are in control. We just ask that you would watch over each and every one of us. And may everything that we do and everything that we say be glorifying to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Chad. Well, all week I've been waiting to get back here, ever since I walked out the door last Wednesday night. Because last week, if you were here, I made a big deal about covering a lot of ground. And I didn't. I spent 15 minutes telling you I was going to cover chunks. I, I, I said we'd had a running game, and we were just doing, you know, a couple yards up the middle, but we were going to open it up tonight. And um, I walked out, and I got in the car, and I just, I was kind of hacked off because I, I just was. So I'm not going to say anything else. I'm just going to do it tonight. We're, we're going to do chapter two tonight. And then next week, what we're going to do is, uh, I took a course in logic in college, uh, we're going to do chapter three next week, <laughs> and then the next week, which is our last week, I'm going to do chapter four, and that's as much as I'm promising. That's, that's all I can promise at this point. But what I want to do is, last week I said we're going to do chunks. I, I want to give you the chunks of chapter two. Um, Last week, we were in verses 1 to 7, and basically what happens there in 1 through 7 is, is as Paul is writing this last letter. You know, he wrote a bunch of letters, 13, I think, by count. This is the last one. Obviously, uh, last words are significant. Paul's in prison. He's in Rome. Uh, he knows that uh, he is right about at the finish line. Nero, if you've been here, you know all this stuff. Nero's the dictator. There is a great persecution against believers uh, that is almost beyond belief what he is doing to those who name the name of Christ. It is not a popular time to be a Christian. It is not a convenient time to be a Christian. Um, last week, quite frankly, was a little bit of a downer. We've had other weeks in this study that have been downers. Why? 
because he's talking about persecution. He's talking about adversity. He's talking about hardship. Uh, that, that's, you know, that's not fun stuff to consider. It's not fun stuff to think about. But it's in the text, and it's what they were facing. And quite frankly, it's what we're facing in this country as things continue to deteriorate. So, you, you know, just deal with reality. It's, it's out there. Well, we, we don't have to be somber. We don't have to be depressed. We don't have to be worried. We don't have to be fearful because we belong to Christ, and he's got a plan for us. And we, we, we live under the will of God. We exist by the will of God. He's got a work for you to do. He's got a work for me to do. He loves your kids more than you love them. He loves your grandkids more than you love them. You know, as, as Chad prayed, God's in charge. God's in control. So we don't have to, you know, walk around with this woe is me thing. Um, we're more than conquerors. We know who our Lord is. We know where we're going. He's the one that sustains us and gets us through life. Are we going to get more heat? Yeah, we are going to get more heat. You probably wouldn't get heat 30 years ago at your workplace for being a Christian. You're probably getting some heat today if, if you've ever taken a stand for Christ. It's just the way things are. You can, you can get in a beauty pageant and take heat for being a Christian. It's just kind of funny how things have changed. So he uses these metaphors in the opening verses of chapter 2. And one of the key metaphors that he uses, and we looked at this last week, was the metaphor of being a soldier. Uh, th th this is a significant one because the fact of the matter is, Ephesians chapter 6 says that we are in spiritual warfare. When I was a kid in our church growing up, we used to sing a song uh, from time to time, especially on Sunday nights. You guys, any of you guys grow up going to church on not just Sunday morning, but Sunday night? And how many of you guys went on Wednesday night, too? How many of you guys, your dads, every time those doors open, you went to church? Yeah. That's what we did. And boy, I resented it. And I look back on it, I'm kind of grateful for it now. I really am. Um, I really am. Grateful for that heritage. Uh, grateful for the priority. I snuck into Chuck's office early because I was putting some stuff together and uh, he had a painting in there I hadn't seen before, and uh, really a nice painting, so I put it in my Suburban. Um, <laughs> but it, I'd never seen this painting, but it was a painting of a family, probably sometime in the, I mean, I'm guessing frontier days, 1800s of America, and it's just the, you know, pretty rough-hewn uh, cabin. And uh, there's Grandma. Uh, she's in the foreground, in a, kneeling in a chair with two little granddaughters. And then the father is over here, kneeling, and a son with him. And then the mother's kneeling in a chair over here with another daughter. And the little brass plaque on the bottom said family prayer I remember family prayer and we'd all my dad would say let's kneel so we kneel down there in the living room and you know you're eight years old and you're kind of fidgeting and looking around you know and my dad would pray but we'd kneel I looked at that I go I remember those days that's good stuff that's good stuff 
Paul's kind of looking back over his life and what has occurred. And, uh, you know, the fact of the matter is, uh, we are in battle. We, we are soldiers. We'd go to church, and especially on Sunday night, uh, boy, they'd, they'd hit that piano, and we'd sing a song called Onward Christian Soldiers, Marching as to War, with the cross of Jesus going on before. That's as far as I can go. And we'd sing that, and we'd just bust the windows out on that sucker. It's a great metaphor, and he uses it. Now, he kind of uh, carries it through, and one of the reasons I was kind of upset with myself last week is that I was going to show you last week when I was in verses 2 and 3 about the soldier thing that he carries it over in verses 8 through 13, but I didn't do it, and I got behind. That's why I was hacked off. But if you look at uh, verses 2 and 3 of 2 Timothy 2, Actually, three and four, I'm sorry. He says, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. And then he says it again, no soldier in active service entangles himself. But the idea of suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus, he picks up the same idea in in nine. He's speaking about Christ, the gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even to imprisonment as a criminal. Sometimes soldiers are prisoners of war, and Paul's a prisoner of war. Now, let me go ahead and give you the outline. Let me give you the chunks. If I don't do anything else tonight, if I drop dead in in two minutes, at least I will die knowing I gave you the chunks of chapter two. And I can die with a clear conscience. Um, Verses 8 through 13, with this soldier metaphor, here's how I would describe that. Uh, This section is watch your commander. You're a soldier, watch your commander. Um, verses 14 through 19. You're a soldier, watch your enemies. Uh, beginning with verse 20, down to 26. You're a soldier, watch your character. I, I, I have a tremendous sense of accomplishment. Having just given you that outline, and again, i got to tell you, that's resolution from last week. So let's break it down a little bit. Uh, Let's deal with the first section, and and I'm going to touch on this, and then I'm going to come back to it. Uh, Verses 8 through 13. And, and, And guys, listen. Why are you fatigued and why are you worn out? Why why, Why have you been dealing with a little bit of discouragement? Um... You ever find yourself sighing? Do you ever sigh? How many of you guys are sires? Let me see your hands. Put them up high. Identify yourselves. I'm a sire. S-I-G-H-E-R. That happens to you. The older you get, some of us have a spiritual gift of sighing. It's not in the Bible, but I think it's, it's got to be a gift because I'm so good at it. Why are we sighing? Because we're burdened. Why are we sighing? Because we're uh, fatigued. Why are we sighing? Because we, we feel the pressure. Well, that's because we're in a war. That's because we're in a battle. Uh, we are soldiers. So out of the 
the blocks here, verse 8, as you're going through the battle and the fatigue and all this stuff, and you know, and you all night marches and all this stuff, and you know, you don't have enough to eat and what you want to eat, and you're eating K rations and watch. Watch your commander. Who was it that told me the story before we got started? Your, your grandson is special forces. You were telling me he was on this unbelievable training. And uh, he's uh, so fatigued, he gets up and reports to a tree because he thinks the tree is his commanding officer. Did I get that story right? Yeah. Watch your commander. Look at verse, look at verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ. There's a reason our life is hard and there's a reason our life is difficult. We're following Christ. If you're following Christ in this culture, uh, you're on the wrong team. If you're following Christ in this culture, you're never going downstream. You're always going upstream. You're always going against the current. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship even to imprisonment as a criminal, but the word of God is not imprisoned. Now, I'm going to come back to that in a little bit. Verse 10. For this reason, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with it eternal glory. Um, if you've been with us in this study, we have gone back through some of the passages, especially in 2 Corinthians, where Paul talked and delineated some of the things he went through as an apostle, as, an, as a preacher, as a teacher. This guy suffered. This guy went through some tough stuff. When he was called on the road to Damascus, we look at it again. We looked at it before, but go back to this. This is, this is classic. Go back to Acts. And, and note, if you would, when, when the Lord called him, this guy who was, you know, the great enemy of the church, Acts 9, and the Lord Jesus appears to him and uh, drafts him into his service and calls him, uh, one of the things that happened is that Paul is blinded. Then you get to verse 13, um, and, and Paul is told to go to a certain location on a street called Straight. Um, the Lord tells this man named Ananias that he is to go and minister to Paul, and he's to lay his hands on him so that Paul will regain his sight. Um, Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. Here, here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, uh, Ananias, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and sons of Israel. Watch this. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. And when you watch Paul's life and when you kind of track it, 2 Corinthians is really his biographical book. He talks about all the sufferings he went through. That's what, that was the story of Paul's life. He was suffering, he says, for, for, the, for the sake of those who were chosen. Uh, and some guys always flinch at that when they hear, they're chosen. What do you mean chosen? Well, Jesus said, you did not choose me. But I, you say, well, no, I, I chose Christ. Well, you, you prayed and asked Christ to come in. You heard the gospel and you responded. Yeah, that's right. 
But you know what Jesus says to those of us who have prayed and said, Lord Jesus, come into my life? He says, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and appointed you that you might go forth and bear fruit and that your fruit might remain. One of the greatest truths in all the scriptures is that we are chosen by God. It's, it's all the way through. Uh, flip over to, uh, to Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, it's remarkable to me how many Christians have difficulty with this and don't like this. They think there's something wrong with this. It's one of the greatest truths in the world. It's one of the most reassuring truths that the reason you know him is because he's chosen you. The initiative for you to know Christ did not come with you. It came, with, it came from him. You didn't seek him. He sought you. If you look at this opening passage of Ephesians, beginning with verse 3, chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is Paul writing. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in him, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Actually, in the Greek it says, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world by looking ahead to see if we would choose him or not. Is that in your Bible? No, it isn't. You know why? Because that's not in the Bible. And I was growing up in our church, the way people explained it, oh, well, yeah, well, yeah, God chose us, but he, when he looked ahead and, and he, he saw if you were going to choose him or not. I said, oh, okay, great. You know what I never ask him? What's the verse on that? Because there's no verse on that. He chose us. Look at this again. This is, this, is, this is really interesting stuff. And you say, well, see, why are you going into this? Because this is one of the reasons that enabled Paul to endure suffering. To endure. He knew that God had a plan for his life. Nothing happened to him randomly. Nothing happened to him by chance. Nothing happened to him that he was just, gosh, in the wrong place at the wrong time. That stuff's all, yeah, forget that stuff. Look at, look at this. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. He chose you so that you would be holy and blameless. So he brought you to Christ. Christ died for your sins. The righteousness of Christ, when, when we believed in Christ, and you exercise faith in Christ, and by the way, faith is a gift of God, is it not? So you were given the faith, you believe in Christ, and the righteousness of Christ is transferred into your account so that you might be holy and blameless. So we are saved from sin. That's justification. When we, when, when we trust in Christ, and see, when we come to Christ, do we know all this stuff? No, we just hear the gospel and we're just responding. What we don't know is what's going on in the unseen places. God's had a plan for you from the foundations of the world. Before the foundations of the world. All we know is we're hearing the gospel. And we go, Lord Jesus, come into my life. But all this stuff is happening underneath the surface. The Spirit of God has pulled you. Jesus said, no man can come unless the Father draws him. Here's the other thing Jesus said. You start reading through John. All that the Father has given me will. They will come. Well, who, who are the ones that, that God has given him? The chosen ones, the elect. You say, not everyone's elect. No. Well, that doesn't seem right. You're exactly right. That's why we have Romans 9. 
Read Romans 9 sometime. And then prepare to have trouble sleeping that night. Romans 9, man, that's a gym. That's a, that's a workout. Because, wait a minute. And all the objections that we have to God choosing us, Paul anticipates and answers. That's what he does. And so you, and you say, well, I, you know, I'm having trouble getting this. Sure you are. Well, there he was chosen. Why do we preach the gospel? Well, then you go to Romans 10. How shall they hear without a preacher? See, you, you had in, in, in Europe at a certain point, and I guess to this day you still have some people like this, they, they, they're so big on that. You see, you've got to take the whole counsel of God. Are we chosen? Yeah. How was it that you came to know Christ? Somebody preached the gospel. But you see, you get some guys that are so strong on election, they just sit around in a lazy boy all day and say, well, I'm not going to preach the gospel. I mean, if they're chosen, they're chosen. No, in Romans 10, Paul says, how shall they hear without a preacher? Why did Paul go everywhere preaching the gospel, and he'd go preach, and they'd stone him and kick him and beat him and knock his teeth out? Why did he keep preaching? Because he was called to preach. Yeah, but they're already chosen. Yeah, but God, is not only, God not only chooses who will come, but he chooses how they will come. Well, why did he do that? I don't know, but that's what he did. So we preach the gospel. And Paul, when you preach the gospel, the preacher gives the external call, but only the Spirit of God can give the internal call. And when the external call is met with the internal come, you come. You come to Christ. Have you ever watched someone come to Christ over a period of weeks, over a period of months, and they show up, and they, you know, they show up at maybe a men's Bible study or church service or something, or, or maybe some guy at work, you know, one day he asks you a question, and, and you know, and you, you kind of give him an answer, and, and then over a period of weeks or months, you know, he'll ask you a question or two, and then... You know, you say, well, this is in the, the Bible. You know, have you got a Bible? Well, no. Would you like a Bible? Well, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, well, let me get you a Bible. Why don't you start reading here a Gospel of John? Just start reading it. See what you think. Okay. Well, why would the guy read the Gospel of John? You know why? The Spirit of God's pulling him. You ever watch somebody come to Christ? We're, we're so big on decisions, you know? But, but there's a process. There's usually a process that the Spirit of God employs to bring people to himself. That's why Paul would endure all this suffering. He was chosen. Hey, if anybody knew about being chosen, it was, it was Paul. Do you think that Paul... Ever was amazed by the fact that he was chosen? Hey, if there was a candidate, the least likely candidate to be chosen was Paul. He was chosen. He'd go up here, missionary journey, go up here, go up, get the crud beat out of him, persecuted, knocked over, preach the gospel. Why? He suffers all things for the sake of the chosen. There are people out there who haven't come yet, and God's going to use Paul's message to bring them to Christ. You know what? You never know who the Lord's going to use through you to bring someone to Christ. You say, well, I'm not a preacher. I'm not an evangelist. Yeah, you know, but you're following Christ. Somebody's watching you. Somebody's watching you. That's why you have to, as a soldier of Christ, watch your commander. Watch your commander. 
you keep your eyes on Christ. Now, let me get back to 2 Timothy here, okay? Are you guys still with me? Are you really? Or are you still hung up on the chosen thing? It's a great truth. It's all the way through the scripture. You say, is that like predestination? Yeah. Well, I don't like predestination. I remember a guy one time in Ohio told me that. In fact, he, now he told me he didn't like it. He said, I don't believe in it. I said, really? You don't believe in predestination? He goes, no. I said, how long, uh, how long have you not believed the word of God? <laughs> he said, oh, I believe the word of God. I believe every word of it. I said, no, you don't. He goes, yes, I do. I said, no, you don't. Wait a minute. You just told me you don't believe in predestination. He goes, yeah. I said, then you don't believe the Bible. I believe the Bible. I said, no, you don't. Let's go back to Ephesians 1. Let me show you something. <laughs> let me just show you this, and then we'll move on, because this is what always comes up, so let me just go ahead and show it to you. It's in verse 5. But let's pick up 4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love. Do you believe that God loves you? Yes, you do. One of the uh, evidences of the love of God is that he has predestined you. Boy, you know, that runs against our craw for some reason. Well, let me ask you this. How many of you guys believe that God has a plan for your life? You believe that? You don't? How many guys don't believe that God has a plan for your life? Let me see your hands if you're willing to do that. Okay, so you believe God has a plan for your life. Then everybody in this room believes in predestination. That's, that's all predestination means. You've been predestined. Oh, does that mean I don't have a will? Or a no, you have a will. And your choices count. Well, then how does that work? It works because God says your choices count. Well, I'm trying to figure out. Don't try to figure it out. Just follow Christ and make good, godly choices. And when you make wrong choices, repent and run to him. But see, we're old enough now. You say, well, this is, the, you know, I'm not sure I want to get into this. You ought to get into it because you're old. You're older, and you're not a kid anymore, and you're not a child, and you don't eat the Gerber's baby food. you got to get into the prime rib of the word, and it's reassuring. Hey, let me tell you something. The older you get, the more you want to know that you're chosen and that you're predestined because that's the only way you get into heaven. That's the only way. You keep your eyes on the commander. Let me go back to 2 Timothy here because there's a... There's a statement here. Verse 11, it is a trustworthy statement. If, for if we died with him, we will also live with him. Now, he's talking about Christ. What does he say in verse 8? Remember Jesus Christ. Watch your commander, your soldier. It's a trustworthy statement. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. You know, the Bible says, he who endures to the end shall be saved. And you go, that's right. He who endures. See, there you go, Steve. Don't give me this chosen stuff. He who endures to the end will be saved. That's right. Well, let me ask you something. Who is going to endure to the end? Those who have been chosen. That's why John said, they went out from us because they were not of us they weren't chosen they weren't in the family of God they looked like it they talked a good game they had a membership card they weren't in, they weren't in the body of Christ 
If we endure, we will also reign with him. Now watch this. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Now that's an interesting statement, isn't it? If we deny him, he will also deny us. You say, wait a minute, Steve, I thought you said we were chosen. Well, I did, I did. And if you're chosen, you will endure to the end. Yeah, but that says, if we deny him, he'll deny us. Which is reminiscent of what Jesus said in Matthew 10, 33. uh, Whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Let me try and illustrate this for you. Judas. Did Judas deny Christ? Yes. Is Judas in heaven? No. No. All right. Let's talk about Peter. Did Peter deny Christ? Yes. Yes. Is Peter in heaven? Yes. Yes. What's the difference? I'll tell you what the difference is. The difference is, you know what the difference is? It's, it's an issue of the heart. Peter denied Christ, and then what did he do? He went out and wept bitterly. And he repented from his gut. From his gut. Thomas Watson used to say that repentance is the vomiting of the soul. That's, that's good. Because, see, there's such a thing as false repentance or synth, what I call synthetic repentance, and then there's genuine repentance. True biblical repentance, there's a godly sorrow. Have you ever had, you can have two people come to you and say, I'm sorry, and one of them you believe and one of them you don't. Right? What's the difference? They say the same words. They might say exactly the same word. I'm sorry, would you forgive me? I, 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 but what does it have to do? You read their heart, right? There's no remorse. There's no sorrow. You can tell when your kids, when they were kids were little, you can tell your kids were repentant, genuinely, and you could tell when it was synthetic repentance. It has to do with the heart. So, so Watson would say that genuine repentance is the vomiting of the soul. You ever had the dry heaves? What a wonderful experience that is. You ever get food poisoning? Oh, gosh. You have the dry heaves, you're throwing up, and you can't stop, and you got nothing on your stomach. That's brutal stuff. That's repentance. That's repentance. You're going this way, and you turn and go back the other way. You know the difference between Judas and Peter? Peter repented Judas Judas threw the change away. He never repented. These guys both, see, it's the heart. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones told the story about when he was pastoring in a coal mining town in Wales. The middle of the night, there was a pounding in his door, just a pounding in his door. He gets to the door, opens it up, and here's a man in his church who had lived a pretty wretched life, pretty tough guy, coal miner, you know, all of his life, and about two years before, was gloriously saved, came to know Christ. His whole life was changed, turned around. And, and uh, Lloyd-Jones opens the door, and this guy is just in a cold sweat. He's in a panic. He's just in a panic. And, and, and Lloyd-Jones brings him in, and it takes him about five, ten minutes to calm the guy down. And, and the, this guy is just, he's just sobbing. He's just sobbing. He's shaking uncontrollably. And, and finally, Lloyd-Jones gets out. He said, what is wrong? And, and, and he said, he, he said, he said, 40 years ago, when I was a young man in a tavern, I had too much to drink, and I said out loud that Jesus Christ was a bastard. 
Can God ever forgive me of that? And Lloyd-Jones went through the scriptures with him. He denied the virgin birth of Christ, didn't he? Was he broken? Yes. Was he forgiven? Yes. You see the difference? Yeah, you do. See, we watch our commander because we screw up. We fall short. But we remember who Jesus Christ is. And he's full of mercy and truth and grace. And you can never come to him too many times. Never. Let's go to the next section. Watch your enemies. You're a soldier. Watch your enemies. Hey, Lou, help me on time. How am I doing? Have you given me... You haven't given me anything yet. Okay, that's great. Thank you. That's really good. I'm very encouraged. I know that's bad news for you guys, but I'm encouraged. All right, here's the second section. All right, you're a soldier, so watch your enemies. Watch your enemies. And can I also throw this in? Watch your enemy and live differently than they live. Watch this. He says in verse 14, remind them of these things, he's talking to Timothy, and solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words, which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. He's going to come back to that. Be diligent, Timothy, to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Timothy's a teacher, like Paul is a teacher. Um, what he is saying to Timothy is that the way that Timothy handles the word of God is important. Timothy represents Christ. Um, James has something interesting to say to teachers. How many of you guys teach? Some kind of Bible study? Sunday school class? Something? Okay. Here's a word for you out of James. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, because teachers incur a stricter judgment. What are we going to be judged on? We're going to be judged, verse 15, be diligent, work your tail off to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handing the word of truth, or literally cutting straight the word of truth. If you're a teacher, it is your job to not miss with the word of God. What it says, you teach. You study, you check it out, you consult scholars, you do this, because you want to make sure you're, you're cutting straight. If, if you're plowing a field, you want to plow it straight. That's the idea here. Um, but there are enemies in the camp. There, there are false teachers. We have false teachers today. There are guys teaching all kinds of things in the name of Christ. And people get in with these guys and they follow them. And, you know, some of these guys, you know, are, are sexual deviants. And some of these guys are, you know, in it for the money. And they're taking old ladies and their estates. You know all about this stuff. They're con men. 
Watch what he says, verse 16. Now, now watch the contrast. But avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. That's serious, gangrene is serious, is it not? Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, men who have, watch this, gone astray. Gone astray. Or literally, Hymenaeus and Philetus are men who have, watch this, they've swerved from the truth. Instead of cutting straight, they've swerved. Instead of a straight furrow with a plow, they swerve. From what? From the word of God. Hymenaeus and Philetus, men who've gone astray from the truth, why have they gone astray? Well, they're saying that the resurrection has already taken place and they upset the faith of some. Sure they do, because the resurrection hasn't taken place. But, But why are they teaching that? Because they're not handling accurately the word of God. You ever look at some of these guys and you ever get upset and you ever get bothered because they have so much exposure and they have such large ministries and they got so many people following them. And, you know, you can, really, you can get bothered. You can get upset. You can get kind of a little... They can, these guys can do some damage and you go, why? Well, you know, well, you got to keep it in perspective. Look at verse 19. Nevertheless, in spite of these bozos, in spite of these, in spite of these false teachers, nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands... Having this seal, the Lord knows those who are his. And everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. See, this is where it comes in. Watch your enemies and be different. Be different. It's, it's interesting, uh, isn't it, that how many of those who have wrong doctrine and who have wrong teaching have wrong personal lives? isn't it? Those two things tend to go hand in hand. Someone who uh, swerves from the word of God, we're not surprised when we find out they've got a history of sexual sin. We're not surprised when we find out that uh, they're philanderers or that they're lovers of money and they do this and this and this. You shouldn't be surprised because you see, the Lord knows the, Lord knows the ones that really belong to him. And everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain uh, from wickedness. Sometimes you'll come across men and they're living double lives. They're living a lot, they're teaching one thing and then they're actually living out another. And one of the ways that you, uh, one of the things you'll see with guys like this is that, uh, watch this, they are soft on sin. They don't like to talk about it. They, uh, they rationalize their own sin. They excuse their own sin. I remember my brother, Jeff telling me about having to confront a guy years ago who was a very prominent and well-known Bible teacher. And Jeff had some pretty clear evidence, and they'd gone through the Matthew 18 process. And uh, this guy is very winsome. You'd love him if you met him. You'd love him. 
But he was also pretty much a pathological liar. And he painted himself into a corner. And they're walking through the steps of Matthew 18. And it was getting very, very uncomfortable. And at one point, he said to Jeff, he said, I've got a bullet with your name on it. Well, you know, men of God don't talk that way. But men of God don't live that way. Men of God don't have sexual conquest after sexual conquest after sexual conquest after sexual contest for 40 years. They don't do that. You see, when Christ, see, if you're watching the commander, if you're watching Christ, there are certain things you don't do anymore that you may have done before, but you've been washed, you've been cleansed, the Spirit of God now lives within you, and we don't live the way that we used to live. The rain falls on the just and the unjust, the Word of God says. Number three, number three. Oh, 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 oh. I can't forget 1 Timothy 4. Flip over there. Back in the first epistle to Timothy, th this is just great. This is just, this is just great, solid advice. 1 Timothy 4.16, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. You don't separate your teaching from your life. You don't do it. There should not be a dichotomy between what you teach out of the Bible and how you live. There should be a great fear in our lives of teaching something we are not attempting to apply. Doesn't mean we get it right, but it means there's a desire. There's a want to to get it. There's a want to to grow in grace. There, there's a want to, to to put aside line. There's a want to to conquer that temper. Does that happen overnight? No. No. But there's a want to. I, I mentioned last week my buddy Stu Weber, who pastors up in Oregon. Stu's a great guy. You don't ever want to get him mad. Because Stu's one of those guys, that he, and he'll tell you, he, he just has a hair trigger. He's nicest, nicest guy in the world, but he's got a hair trigger. And, um, and I, know, I knew Stu for years, and I didn't realize that because, you know, it's, it's, he'll tell you, he says, it's, it's kind of my Achilles. It's what I fight. I fought it all my life. Stu was doing really well until his sons started pay, playing competitive athletic sports. Especially when his sons started playing high school basketball. And uh, it got to be a problem. Because Stu would go to the games and as Stu told me, he said, I'm sitting in the stands up there about 18 rows. And he said, the next thing I know, I'm standing on the court. <laughs> and I don't know how I got there. And these people in my church, are, that's our pastor. <laughs> but what happened? Uh, that official missed a call on his son. That guy was hacking Blake to death. And he didn't call. Well, there's a point. I mean, Stu's on the floor. And he looks around, and, and he's just, he's embarrassed. 
So does he just excuse it? He just rationalize it? No, that's just me. I was born that way. No. I mean, Stu's saying, you know, Lord, you got to help me with this. I'm not doing too well. And he's talking to his wife. And, you know, so Lindy gets some idea. She said, hey, and, and she gets Stu a little CD player with the headphones. When you go to the games, you put that on, and here's your disc, and it's full of Christian praise music. <laughs> so Stu goes to the games, and, you know, he's listening to the Christian praise music and watching it, all, and he's on the floor. <laughs> and the headphones are back in the bleachers. That didn't, that didn't work. And he thought it might work, but it didn't work. Did he quit, rationalize it, you know, uh, it's just the way, no. Finally, one of his uh, guys on staff with him at the church said, hey, Stu, you know what? What if I go to the games with you? And so he'd go to the games with Stu. And he'd just sit there. The guy wasn't all that interested in basketball, but he loved Stu. So he'd just go to the games with Stu, and Stu would say, I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden something happens, and I'd feel this hand on my knee. I'd just feel it. Oh, okay. Okay, I, good, I'm good. It happened maybe two or three times a game. That's a good friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. But you see, Stu was going out. Watch, Stu's a great teacher. But not only does he have to watch if he's cutting straight, he's got to watch his life. Number three, watch your character. Watch your character. Verse 20. Now in a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware, uh, some to honor, some to dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself, uh, you have vessels in your house, different kind of vessels. There's a vessel that contains a toilet brush. There is a vessel that your wife brings out when you give her beautiful roses, right? One vessel for honorable use, one for dishonorable. Verse 21, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, dishonor, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Now watch the emphasis on character. In other words, you, you, you make a choice. You cleanse yourself. Lord, I want to follow you. I want you to be first in my life. Uh, Proverbs, uh, uh, Ephesians says, let him, it's either Ephesians or Colossians says, let him who steals, steal no longer. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word that is good for edification for the moment. See, you don't talk the way you used to talk. You're watching your mouth. You're watching your lips. This is part of following Christ. This is growing up in Christ. Anybody can grow old in Christ. Oh, I've been walking with Christ for 59 years. Good. Good. Pin a rose on your nose. Back in the old days, when we go Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, we'd have a testimony service. You guys ever go to testimony services? Or during a service, they'd have a testimony. Somebody, oh, I just thank God that I'm walking with him for 63 years. Okay, great, good. But see, the question is, the question is not are you growing old in Christ, the question is are you growing up in Christ? And there's a difference, isn't there? A lot of guys are just growing old. They put it on cruise control. 
and they're not really working anything. They're not trying to apply their faith. They're not going. They're just cruising. You don't ever want to get on cruise control. You want to fight the good fight. You want to go after these things. Um, watch the character stuff here. Verse 22. Now flee from youthful lust and pursue righteousness. And you guys play football? You do that drill? You know, two days? And that coach is standing over that ball? What's he do? Remember that? What are you doing? You're pursuing that ball. Pursue righteousness. Go after it. Go after it. You have to pursue it. You have to want it. You have to desire it. You know why I'm hitting this so hard? Because we get weary. We get weary in well-doing. We get fatigued. We get worn out. It's a battle. It's a war. Flee from youthful lust. Pursue righteousness. He's talking about build your character. Faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. Don't get into this nonsense stuff with these guys that are false teachers. Cut it straight. Stay with the word. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wrong, gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, or perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. Well, uh, when I was in seminary, my friend Robert Lewis and I, there was a gal uh, that was in uh, a college group I was teaching, and there were um, Mormon elders that were going through the dorms, and it was a secular campus, and uh, teaching, and had disturbed her and upset her and some friends, and she was very confused, and um, she came to me, and we're talking. And I said, well, when these guys, and they showed up, and they had a study every Tuesday night, and they're always coming to her door. And I said, well, you know, would those guys meet with me? And she said, I'll ask them. And they said, sure. And then I, I, I was talking to Robert. I said, hey, when, you want to go with me to this thing? Go, oh, sure. So we went down, and we met with these guys and all these girls, you know, and all these girls. There's probably 10 girls in this dorm. And so we start talking, and they're, they're giving us their experience, and they're you know, very well-meaning guys, no question about that. And uh, they would make a statement out of the Book of Mormon, and they would tell us how the angel appeared to um, Joseph Smith. And then we went to Galatians 1 and showed them that Paul said, even though we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a different gospel, let him be accursed. If an angel from heaven appears to you and preaches a different gospel, you don't believe him. And they kept quoting from the Book of Mormon. We kept quoting from the Bible. And then this one guy said to us, he, how did he say that? I'm not a... Uh, uh, he said, I, I, uh, this isn't the right term. I don't have it right. He said, I'm not a biblicist. I don't know the Bible like you do. And he said, but I'd like to give you my testimony. He gives his testimony, and it all comes down to he heard this, and he'd been raised this way, but he heard this, the Mormon teaching, and he said, finally, I wasn't sure what to do, so I just prayed, and I asked God if Mormonism was right. And God told me that it was. And that was his closer. And I said, well, you know, that's very interesting. 
because I prayed the same prayer and God told me it was wrong. And I'm not real bright, but I was, and the guy didn't know what to do. No one had ever said that to him before. The basis is not your experience. The basis is your ground of authority. Another testament of Jesus Christ. There is no other testament of Jesus Christ. Is there? And then I said, now we've listened to, to you guys and I appreciate what you share with us. Can we share with you and begin to share the gospel? And that when Jesus went to the cross, what Jesus did and who Jesus was. And that in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. But he came to earth, went to the cross, born of a virgin. When he went to the cross, I said, you know, it's amazing. When he went to the cross, all of my sins were future. All of them. So you know what that means? 2,000 years ago when Jesus was on that cross, and here I am today, when Jesus died for my sins, Jesus on that day died for the sins of my past. And on that same day, Jesus died for my sins I commit today. And you know what's really amazing? Jesus has already died for the sins I have yet to commit. I said, that's what you call grace. And I'll never forget the younger of the two. He just looked at me and he said, I wish I could believe that. And I said, well, you can't. You can't. That's the gospel. But nobody had ever cut it straight for him. I want to give you two closing truths. And here they are. Number one. I, I got to set this up. Don't write this down. This isn't the closing truth. I got to set it up. Uh, Paul's writing this. Where is Paul? He's in prison. Okay, I just set it up. Thanks. Here's the first one. We are imprisoned in circumstances. Every guy in here, you've got some kind of situation in your life that you wish you could get out of. So Jeff and the guys at Prison Fellowship, they work with prisoners all the time. I think it would be safe to say that any prisoner in any prison, there's one thing on his mind, and what is? What is it? To get out of this thing. I want to get out of this prison. Of course you want to get out of this prison. It's possible to be imprisoned and never be in a prison. I would submit to you that every single one of us, in some way, shape, or form, are in circumstances and the thing that we would ask God more than anything else is to get us out of these circumstances that are imprisoning us. They make us miserable. We don't want to be there. They rob us of our joy. It's drudgery. It's just like chewing nails. We want out of this prison. 
And your prison is not the same as this guy's prison or this guy's prison. Here's number two. I'm going to make this statement, and I think I can prove it to you. We can experience freedom and peace in the midst of our prisons. This is what Paul had. You're reading through 2 Timothy, the last shot before the guy dies. He's in prison, Mamertine, you know, dungeon, the whole thing. You don't, you don't get anxiety. You don't get fear. He's not overwhelmed. He's not weeping. He's not going to counseling. He's just following Christ. He's doling out the truth. The sucker's not in a small group. You know what I'm saying? Except for the friends that come and encourage him in the Lord. That's great. But I'm saying, hey, I'm saying this guy is steady. He's steadfast. He's in prison and he's encouraging everybody else. Now, how does that happen? I, can I say this to you? I think I can say to you that as Paul was in these circumstances, any moment they're going to pull him out and cut off his head. This sucker had complete peace. He was anxiety free. Don't you think? I do as I read this. How does that happen? How does that happen? You know, guys, this economic stimulus is working. And you know it isn't. Uh, Steve, wherever Steve is, got a, there you are, Steve. So we had Bible study last Wednesday. You go in Thursday, and you get laid off. 17 years. Yeah. And can I share no severance? I just shared it. <laughs> and can I share no health care? I just shared it. Okay? And I would, you know, uh, uh, I took a course. I, I'm, not a, I'm not an economist, but I took a course, Economics 101, and I remember reading in there that historically when they print money, something happens inevitably called inflation. Okay? I remember reading that. And then I remember also reading and experiencing that when taxes go up, I'll I tell you what we're doing in our house. We know taxes are going up, so what are we doing? Now we're not spending much because we know they're going to grab that money. And that's what you're doing. That's what everybody's doing. So I say that to say this. This deal we're in is probably not going to go away over the weekend. There are a lot of guys right now, and we've been talking about this for quite a while because this has been going on for quite a while and probably will continue to go on for quite a while. Why? Because it's where we are and decisions are being made that don't seem to make a lot of sense. But once again, God's in charge. So what do we do with this? Well, it's affected all of us. I find that a lot of guys are in prisons of circumstances financially. So I'm in South Carolina this weekend, did a conference, then we had a break for lunch. I sit down at a table. There are three guys there. These two guys work for the same company, own the company. How's it going, guys? Well, nobody's getting paid in May. Nobody, including us. We worked a deal. We won't pay anybody, and you'll keep your job, and hopefully we can pay you in June. We're trying to keep it going. And we all agreed to that. We'd all take nothing for 30 days. Wow. And this guy right here. So tell me what you do. Well, I've been laid off for six months. Really, young guy. He said, I got a little girl, about three months old. Hmm. 
So what are you doing? Well, I'm going back to school trying to get this degree, and I'm going, you know, I'm trying to get this and get qualified for this. And it seemed like everybody I talked to in South Carolina was feeling the crunch, like you're feeling this guy's. Everybody, in some way, shape, or form, we're feeling it. And see, see, we're the men. You should feel it. You should feel the crunch. Because God has called you to provide. Now, if you've got a disability, you've got a disability. But if you can work, what did Paul say? If a man won't work, he won't, he won't eat. We've gotten way away from that. Uh, you feel the weight, don't you? A lot of guys are imprisoned by the circumstances of, of financial circumstances. Plus, there's other stuff. Marriage stuff, health stuff, whatever it is. You know, uh, guys in here are dealing with all kinds of stuff. So, last week, I teach this. I go in the car and I'm mad because I forgot. I, I didn't get the chunk I wanted to get. All right, so be it. I didn't get the chunk. I go home, uh, you know, hang out for a little bit, go to bed. Went to bed pretty early. I wake up at 4.30 in the morning, wide awake. Uh, you know why I'm wide awake? I got anxiety sweeping over me on four fronts. I mean, I, I, could, I could identify them and delineate them. Four different deals, two of them relational, two of them not in the relational field, but four things that I was very concerned about. And one of them was sweeping over me like a tsunami. I mean, just nailing me. And, and you know, so what do I do? Well, I can't go back to sleep. I mean, I want to sleep, I want to rest. I can't rest. Why not? Because I'm being attacked. Uh, you got a Bible? Ephesians 6. Let me tell you what's happening to me. Ephesians chapter 6. Now, see, when I run around and do these conferences, I know a lot of guys are in financial difficulty and all this and these prisons and circumstances. So you know what I'm saying to guys? When this stuff rolls over you and the anxiety and all that, you know what I say to them? you got to think. When the fear and the worry and the anxiety sweeps over you, you got to learn to think biblically. Now look at Ephesians chapter 6. Get down to about verse 10 and you're getting warm. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God. You may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness. There are demons, then there is a devil. And the devil or one of his um, soldiers will try to bring you down and discourage you and thwart you. You don't believe that. Read the Word of God. You got to read Screw Tape Letters by C.S. Lewis. Uh, he gives the. Uh, he gives the armor that we put on because we're soldiers and we're in battle. But I want you to note verse 16. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So I wake up at 4.30 in the morning. I do this Bible study. Go to bed. Wake up at 4.30 in the morning. And pretty much I had four flaming arrows being shot at me. All right, now what do I need to do then? And they're arrows of anxiety. So what do I need to do? So I said, all right, now, you know what? This stuck. I said, shoot. And I just wanted to roll over and go to sleep. But I couldn't go to sleep because, because I'm in a war. So what do I do? Shoot. So what do I do? I got to fight. All right, so I got to put up a shield. A shield of what? A shield of faith. 
Faith comes by hearing and hearing what? The word of God. When Jesus was tempted by Satan three times, he answered three times with what? Scripture, the word of God. So I got to start pulling out scripture, fighting off the anxiety. Psalm 42, why are you in despair, O my soul? Well, right now I'm in despair because of these four uh, deals, and I'm not sure how they're going to work out. And these two might, and this one, you know, this one, I see no way this is going to work. And that's what I'm feeling. That's what I'm sensing. All this stuff is flowing over me. So, so what do I got to do? So I start running through verses. I start running through verses because I'm in a fight here. And you know what? It took me three and a half hours. It took me three and a half hours in this battle. And I'm working through verses. I'm working through verses. Psalm 52, uh, 57, 2. I will cry to God most high, to God who accomplishes all things for me. He will send from heaven and save me. I'm just working through verses. I'm working through verses. And they say, oh, you know, I need to go to the Lord's Prayer. Because I'm under attack. So I begin to pray. Uh, why did I begin to pray? Because I remembered Ephesians, uh, Philippians 4, verse 6. I, I, I'm just kind of walking you through this because I think I'm not the only guy that deals with this. You know what I settle on? I'm working through verses. I'm working through verses. You know, you know what I just anchored on? Philippians 4, 6. Here's Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. My grandma died at either 101 or 103. I can't remember. But when she was in her late 90s, she said to me one day at breakfast, she said, Steve, I was reading my Bible this morning and I saw something I'd never seen before. And I thought, my gosh, she's been reading that thing for 80 years. <laughs> uh, you know what happened to me last, um, maybe, maybe 10 days ago? I'm reading through 2 Timothy and I see something I've never seen before in the New Testament. When I was 20, I, I got a copy of the New American Standard Bible. I'd been raised with the King James. And when I got the New American Standard Bible, I started eating it like chili dogs. I mean, I just devoured the sucker. I'd start reading it in Matthew, and I'd read all the way to Revelation. I'd carry it with me, and um, I'd just read the thing. If I had 10 minutes, I'd read it. I just read, I just read it. I was devouring it because I could understand it. I don't ever remember. Go back to 2 Timothy 2. You guys still with me? All right, let me show you something. Go back to 2 Timothy 2, verse 9. He's talking about, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel. For which I suffer hardship, even to imprisonment, as a criminal. Watch this. But the word of God is not imprisoned. Gosh, is that good. And I, I tell you, I don't even remember seeing that before in my life. So here I am, 4.30 in the morning. I'm in my bed, and you know what? I'm imprisoned. I'm imprisoned by circumstances, fear, worry, concern, that, 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 all this stuff coming at me that I have no control over. So what do I do? Well, I'm in prison. What's going to set me free? The word of God. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by... So I start working through Philippians 4, verse 6. When it says be anxious for nothing, it, it doesn't mean you don't ever give legitimate thought to your life, 
but it's talking about killing care. It's talking about anxiety that, that, you know, that just overwhelms you. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer. All right, prayer. That's how I got to the Lord's Prayer. So what do I do? I'm putting up the shield, but it says, be anxious for nothing but everything by prayer. So what do I do? I go to the Lord's Prayer. Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven. So I pray that, and I stop right there. And then what I do is I start going over in my head who my Father is. I start working his attributes, his power, his wisdom, his immutability, the fact that he cannot lie. I just start working it through mentally. Do I have peace in my heart? No, not yet. I'm still fighting off anxiety. But I'm, I'm, I start with my Father because that's who I'm praying to. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer. Uh, and that word for prayer there is the general word for prayer. It's, it's worship. You're not going to worship if you don't know who God is. But when you know who God is, you'll worship. So i got to go through about a half hour of working this through. Who my God is, and then I worship. And then it says, be anxious for nothing but everything in prayer and, and supplication. You know what supplication is? It's your specific request. So I start making my request. I don't, you, guys, let me tell you, don't go to your request first. You got to worship and you got to know who God is. Because, listen, if you don't know who God is and you don't remind yourself of his greatness and power, you can make your request and it's not going to help you because you haven't refreshed yourself who he is. If he doesn't have all power, what the heck are you doing wasting words? If you're not sure, if you're unsteady, let me tell you something, you're in trouble. So you got to cement who he is in your mind. And then you make specific requests. Now watch this. Be anxious for nothing and everything by prayer and supplication. This is critical. With thanksgiving. Okay, so now I've been going about, about an hour. I get up, I make some coffee, I go in the front room and I sit in my red leather chair. And you know what I do? I got my Bible here. But what I do is I sit in that chair and I begin to thank God for the previous 24 hours in my life. And then I begin going through that week thanking God. I just start thanking him. And I just start working backwards. And I just start working backwards. Do I have peace yet? No. I, I, I'll be honest with you. But I'm thanking him. And I remember in situations. And I remember. And I go about an hour. I mean, this is a battle. I get up and I make another cup of coffee. I get back in the red chair. And um, I might have gone another hour. And uh, can I tell you what happened to me? Uh, the phone rang and all four prayers that I had prayed were instantaneously answered like that. That didn't happen. That didn't happen. <laughs> but can I tell you what did happen? By the time I went through that process... I'm thanking God for about an hour, and then I got some coffee, and I go back. I'm going all the way back when um, I'm walking to my brother's house in Coppell, and we got kids everywhere, and we're going to see Top Gun, and it's just chaos and cousins, and I suddenly think, where's Josh? Where's Josh? And I can look out the patio, and I see Josh in the bottom of John's, uh, my brother Mike's swimming pool. And then I was through those doors and in that pool, and grabbed that two-year-old kid and brought him out 
And he spit water and started crying, and I spit water and started crying. I mean, I'm just working through. Look at what God's done. Look what God's done. And as I'm working through, you know what, you know what happened to me? Suddenly, as dominated as I was by anxiety, I was dominated by the peace of God. And nothing in my life had changed. Nothing. Not one circumstance in my life had changed. It's very important that you understand that. But be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And I'm going to tell you something. By 8.30, I'm cruising. And nothing had changed in my life, and I still got the four issues. Now, that's how you do it. It's called warfare. It's called warfare. And on Monday, I got a call, and the worst one, God made a way. I couldn't believe it. So the last two days, I've been stunned by the goodness of God. But before he ever changed anything, I had the peace of God. You don't need psychology. You need the word of God. Now, if there's something in psychology that fits the Bible and can help you, that's fine. But forget the rest of that crap. And get the word of God in your mind. What does it do? It'll set you. If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you shall know the truth. And the truth shall what? Set you free. Let's stand and we'll pray. Thank you, Father. We face these prisons. We face them. And they're real. And they scare us. And they frighten us. And the enemy attacks us. And the more serious we are about following you, the more we'll experience these attacks. But greater is he that is within you than he that is within the world. Thank you, Lord, for the mental health that comes from the word of God. For the guys in here that have been frantic with anxiety today, Help them to work this process through as they go to sleep tonight. To begin to just pray and remember who you are and to worship. And then to tell you what they're concerned about. And then to start thanking you for what they've seen you do. And as we thank you, we are flooded with the peace that is so deep because we know you are not going to stop being faithful. You're going to make a way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.